Hi, I'm Ewan Blakey, Senior Pastor of Oasis Church. I hope this message gives you hope and helps you take your next step on your Christian journey. We'd love to invite you to come and see us in person at 10 a.m. on Sundays or join us live every Sunday on YouTube. For more info, visit our website, oasischurchperth.com. Today I've got the privilege of sharing God's Word with you and I'm commencing a new series called New Covenant Essentials. In this series, we're going to be exploring what is the New Covenant, its unique elements, and how they are intrinsically related to each other, and how they connect to the person and work of Christ. But today, my topic is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. So I'll be diving into the Old Testament and the covenants there and exploring how they connect to the New Testament. But before I start, I just want to say, you know, it's a privilege being at Oasis Church. And each time I come, there's always a different group of people up here on this stage. And I would like to say this morning that I would like for us to just celebrate those people who come up on this stage and worship. Our worship leaders who have to plan the music, our worship leaders who have to practice, who have to get their timing right, and sometimes they take me into the heavenly of heavens, and I'm in dream world and I'm still standing and you're all sitting down. And other times with my fibromyalgia, the noise is riveting, but my God speaks through them and to me, as I'm sure it does. So can we give them a hand of applause this morning? Our God is a great God, and um, he works in and through all things. The things you don't like about church, do you know what? He works on those the most, and the things that you like at church, you have fun, but they're not as life-changing as the things that rub and irritate your spirit because you are forced to think about what's going on in your heart and if you need to change. So I'm going to start this series by talking about covenants because he's a covenant-making God. So I'm just going to give you a little bit of a definition about covenants. So covenants are a dominant theme in the Bible and they serve as a foundation to the story of God's people. In a literal sense, a covenant means a binding agreement, a legal contract. It's a seal between two or more parties working together to reach a common goal. Covenants are often accompanied by oaths, signs and ceremonies. They define obligations, commitments, but they're different from a contract. And this is really important. How are they different? Because they're relational and personal. Our God is a relational and personal God. This is not a black and white contract when he does a covenant with, with us their personal and relationship. So throughout the Bible, we see that God is a covenant-making God. And there are five foundational covenants. There are many more, but there's five foundational covenants that God makes with Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David before establishing the new covenant with Jesus Christ. So let's begin. I'm going to begin at Adam. 
I rather like Adam and Eve. They're an interesting story. And due to time constraints, and this is a challenging sermon because there's a lot of territory to cover over thousands of years. Um, so um, please bear with me. But as I do this, I really want you to stop and think because most of you in this room know a little bit about Adam and Eve and you know a bit about Abraham and Moses and David if you've read the Bible. And if you haven't, I would say most people in society have heard something about these people and the narratives that have been written in the Bible. But you know, when we read something time and time again and we hear about it, we form what's called false narratives in our brain because we perceive it through our own experiences and our own belief systems. And so today, as I go through this, I want to encourage you not to put the blinkers down and turn off while I'm speaking, but I want to encourage you to stop and think, what's God challenging me with? What is it in this very simple story that might change my whole narrative and my whole um, concept about the coming of Jesus Christ. Because for many of us on this journey with Christ, we're sitting on this very superficial level. And then God takes us deeper and deeper and deeper into his heart. And as we travel that, our narratives and our thinking about God and ourselves begin to change. So these, these particular stories are foundations to that story. So as I, as I talk, I want you to think, what's God saying to me? How does this narrative apply to me? What am I learning about God in this story? So back to Adam. Well, at the very beginning, the creation, we see God builds covenants with humanity to usher in his kingdom. In Genesis 2, 15 to 17, we hear about the covenant God made with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Technically, the Bible only mentions Adam, but being a feminist, I'm putting Eve in. Okay? In this covenant, Adam and Eve were to, drink, were to work and cultivate the land with one stipulation, not to eat from the tree of knowledge, good and evil. And in their first covenant test, guess what? They failed. They ate from the tree, fracturing the relationship with God, resulting in sin, death and separation from God. This covenant between Adam and Eve was conditional. It had conditions and it was based on works. Theologian R.C. Sprout says, in the covenant of works, the destiny of the human race was decided on performance, specifically on the basis of obedience of Adam and Eve. If they remained obedient, they would enter into eternal state of blessedness. However, if they failed to conform to that stipulation, they would die along with their descendants. Although the consequences were severe and inescapable for Adam and Eve, for us in this century, a wonderful promise of grace came out of the Aramaic covenant. In Genesis 3.15, we hear God speaking to Satan. I'm not sure if you knew that was back there, but God is speaking to Satan. And it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. 
Here God promises that one born of a woman would be wounded in the process of destroying Satan. The seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. Is no other than Jesus Christ. Even in the midst of the curse, God's provision of salvation shines right from the very beginning. This God had a plan for us. It is no accident each and every one of you in this room are here today because God had a divine plan or has a divine plan. Next, we look at um, Noah. And in the book of Genesis, we hear that humanity had multiplied and sin was totally out of control. They just lost it. This went on for something like 1,900 years, and it was just crazy. But God had a plan again to draw his people, his creation, back to him. And in Genesis 9, 1 to 17, we hear about the Noatic Covenant, where God flooded the earth, and I'm sure you've all heard about this, with the only survivors being Noah, his family, and two of each creature on the earth. Of course, after the flood, God promised Noah and his descendants four things. Firstly, he would never again send a worldwide flood to destroy the earth as an act of judgment for sin. Secondly, to remind Noah and his descendants of this covenant promise. Come on, you all know the answer. What is it? Call it out. A rainbow. He set a rainbow in the sky. And the most amazing thing about that rainbow is today we still see that rainbow. And, you know, when we look at that rainbow... We can be remembered of God's amazing grace all those centuries, thousands of years before, how he had a plan to redeem his people. And that's why we're here today. That rainbow is really significant. The third thing, like Adam, Noah and his family were commanded to fill the earth in Genesis 9.1. And, and this is a new one. All the creatures, birds and fish, would now be food for humans. Before they were vegetarian. Now they are allowed to eat the animals. So you can see the changes coming. Okay. Christine's gone over two pages. The Noah covenant was unconditional. And it was made to Noah and all of his descendants, as well as every living creature on the earth in general. Next... We have Abraham. We hear about this covenant which marks a distinct point in turning history around. Really significant. In the first 11 chapters of Genesis, humanity is depicted in a complete continual back spiral. There's sin everywhere. It's chaos again. You'd think they'd learn. And then in Genesis 12, 1 to 3... God's plan for a path forward for redemption is, is revealed through Abraham. And these are the points of the Abrahamic covenant. This covenant with Abraham comes in three continual interactions, three covenantal reactions, interactions, which, upon which each are built. Firstly, Abraham would be given land in Genesis 12.1. From Abraham, a great nation would come, even though he and his wife had been unable to have children when this promise was made, because Sarah was up in arms at this point when God promises. 
and they were in their 80s. We can't have children, and yet God promises, which is amazing. And through this blessing of Abraham and his descendants, the whole earth would be blessed. So it's gone even wider. It's gone wider. And the key aspects of this covenant are, one, its unconditional nature. It didn't require any actions on Abraham's part. Secondly, it has a universal benefit. It was just not focused on the blessings of Abraham and his descendants, but the entire world, that means you and I, we benefit from this covenant. And thirdly, and lastly, this covenant is... Sorry, I did the everlasting first. It was a universal covenant which was solely focused on... It was for the, for the ultimate benefactory of everyone. And thirdly, it was an everlasting covenant. So this covenant goes on forever and ever and ever, which is really great. And I'm going to have a drink of water because that's why I'm stumbling on my words here. Okay, that brings us to Moses. And I'm sure you know the story of Moses. Are you seeing the linking? Are you seeing the passageway that God's created, that he's relentless and his story is never-ending? Well, then God made a covenant with Abraham's descendant, Jacob, whom he renamed Israel. Israel became a great nation of 12 tribes. And when God rescued them from slavery under the Pharaoh of Egypt, he made a covenant with the whole nation of Israel under Moses at Mount Sinai. Here God told Moses that if Israel would uphold the conditions to faithfully listen and obey, he would uphold his end of the covenant. In other words, the Israelites would become guardians of God's covenant. That meant living out the Ten Commandments. Have we all heard of the Ten Commandments? It was living out the Ten Commandments as a light to the nation. This covenant was conditional. We've got another conditional covenant. The others had been unconditional. And it ruled over God's people up to and including the birth of Jesus. Again, we have conditions. Sin prevails. It goes on and on. And it's all about works. Sin works and conditions. But then something new occurs. From the tribe of Judah, we hear of King David, who rules over Israel. King David was a little bit different. And you know, this is my challenge in the Bible. I don't know about you, but I hear about Abraham, I hear about Moses, and I hear about others. And then I get to King David, and King David was an adulterer. King David was a murderer, and yet he had a heart after God's heart. He longed. Have you ever read the Psalms, especially Psalm 142 to 150, where he pours out and he glorifies God and he says how much he loves him and he longs to be near him. His heart is so entrenched in God, and yet he would murder, he would do other things. But God loved this man. He kept on drawing him back. Interesting. It challenged me, and it, and it still challenges me sometimes, is that we're in the Old Testament, but we're seeing the beginnings of the New Testament. Am I making sense of God's unconditional love? So 
Let's get on to David. So he was a man after God's heart and he honoured love. In 2 Samuel 7, 9-16, we hear about the unconditional covenant that he made. So first, God tells David that he'll make his name great and affirms the promise of land that he has made in the first two covenants. Remember, we, talk about, we talked about Abraham and a covenant with the land. Well, he also made a covenant with Moses. And God affirms that um, with David, that he will fulfill that promise. Second promise is in 2 Samuel 7.10, and it says, I will provide a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they have a home of their own and are no longer disturbed. He's going to take care of them. They're going to be there. He's going to look after them. God then promises that David's son, Saul, will succeed him as king of Israel, and that his son, sorry, Solomon, wrong name, that his king, um, as king of Israel, and that his son would build a temple. This is a confusing statement I've made because in the passage he talks about his son would build the temple, but he also talks about his son and continuing the line of David, which Saul did. But there's another aspect to this, there's another son. There's a secret son of the future, which is, of course, it says here, but then the promise continues and expands. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Your house and your kingdom, I will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. What began as a promise to David's son Solomon to build the temple turns into something totally different. An everlasting kingdom, another son of David, would rule over and build a lasting house, which gives us entry in to the New Testament. Are you seeing layer upon layer building together of our relentless God that's never given up, that he's moved through these covenants? Well, finally, the Old Testament covenants find their fulfillment in the New Covenant through Jesus who sacrificed his life for the sin of the whole world. This covenant was sealed by the blood of Jesus and brings forgiveness of sins, restores fellowship with those whose hearts are turned towards him. Now we're at the exciting story. And again, many of you have, may have heard this story before, but I want you to readjust your lenses because I really believe that God's got a word for you today in this part of this sermon. So let's take a look at what God has to say. Guess what? Page five has gone to page six. Yeah. So we see this covenant unfolding in Matthew 2, 26, 28, where it says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. You see, the previous covenants had been impossible to keep, but this new covenant would not rely on humans upholding their end of the agreement. The perfect sacrifice of Jesus made a way for God's people to come before him in the presence of the Holy of Holies. This new covenant that he's given us is everlasting, is unconditional, and it's undeserved. 
Back in the Old Testament, remember, there was a thing called works? That works is gone. This is unconditional. Under the new covenant, we are no longer under the law, but under grace. The law of the old covenant was never a means of salvation. Rather, it led to condemnation, as we can see from the Old Testament, as people completely continued to break the law and violate the covenant. Ephesians 2, 8-9 says, We have been given the opportunity to receive salvation as a free gift. Works are not required. We don't have to earn our way into the kingdom, but for some reason, some of us still work to get into the kingdom. We don't have to work. It's free. The old covenant was not, could not give life, but the new covenant does. Hebrews 10, 14 to 18 tells us God has put his law on our hearts. He's written them on our minds and our sins are forgotten. He will give us complete forgiveness of sin, restoring all that is broken between us and God. Unlike the old covenant, all can come to God. There is no longer a need of high priests and blood sacrifices as Jesus Christ is our high priest. And his sacrifice was once and for all. Our past, present and future sins are all totally covered. Ephesians 1, 13, 14 and Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27 lists some aspects of the new covenant. A new heart, a new spirit, but there's more. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit and true holiness. The Mosaic law again could provide none of these things. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit only came upon people for certain tasks. They came upon them um, the priests in the temples, they came upon Abraham and many other people in the Old Testament as they followed God's will and his law. But here in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit indwells, lives within each and every one of us that has asked Jesus Christ into our lives. He's renewing our minds and drawing us into the likeness of Christ. That wasn't available under the law. And somehow as a Christian, I don't know about you, but sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we forget when we're in time of need and we're struggling. We forget that the living God is here within us. We don't need to turn away to here. We need to turn to here, to here, to receive from our God at a deeper level. He's here. He's with us. Here God, she's gone back to Moses. <laughs> Not going back to Moses, God. We're heading towards the new covenant and the ending and eternal life. Also, because of Christ, the high priest of the new covenant, we are now able to come into God's presence. We couldn't do that in the Old Testament. In Hebrews 14, 16, it says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence that he may receive mercy and find grace to help us in times of need. Do you turn to him in your times of need? Or do you turn to a friend? Or do you, do you just get angry and eat more food? Or exercise more? It's true. We all do it. We do those strategies before turning to God. But that's not what God's calling us to do. He's calling us to go to him first. 
Under, uh, in Hebrew, Hebrews 8.10, it says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Under the old covenant, only certain people had a relationship with God. God was referred to as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. But under the new covenant, God promises to have relationship with anyone who will trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. You see, the message here is that Christianity is all about relationship. It's not about religiosity. It's not about following laws. It's not about you'll be dismissed if you don't read the Bible for a year. You might not get to know God, but it's not about that. It's about this. It's about your personal relationship with God and how he's walking with you day by day by day. Romans um, 8.15 says, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about adoption to sonship, whereby we call Abba Father. He's our Father. He is our real Father. God is our Father. You see, we are no longer under condemnation. We are not held captive to works. We are set free from our sins. And through Jesus, we again are able to enter into the presence of God. I'm sounding repetitive, but how can you not be repetitive? This is our God. You know, none of this was possible in the old covenant. We are now one in Christ and ensured of everlasting life. The goal of covenant relationship is oneness, a shared life. Are you sharing your life? Are you sharing all things with Jesus Christ? It's a oneness, a shared life. I am in you and you are in me. This shared life is a journey and on that journey, God is pursuing each and every one of us relentlessly. His spirit is convicting and is drawing us deeper into his presence. You know, our God longs for us to draw closer to him. Wherever you are today, he wants more of you. He's greedy. He wants more and more and he calls us into that place. Do these aspects that I'm describing of the new covenant, do they excite you? You know, they do me. Because every time I stumble... Our God stands there and he welcomes me back, just like he welcomes you back. The Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Do you know they're our cheer spot squad? Every time we're in trouble without knowing, they're there, they're cheering us on, they're watching us. We might not feel them or sense them, but they're there. They will never leave us. They are our rock, our salvation. And they walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. They cry with us, they rejoice with us, and they empower us. Do you know what? They're molding us into the likeness of Christ because they're longing for us to be closer and closer in God's presence. Our God, if you remember nothing of this sermon, our God is a relentless God, and he wants more and more and more and more and more and more to eternity and back a trillion times of your heart because he loves you more immensely than you can ever imagine. I love my husband to the moon and back 
But my love for God, sorry Ken, is far greater than my love for my husband. I'd like to say they're exactly the same, but as I've grown older and more mature and squishy in my old age, my love for God is stronger. And, um, and my husband knows that. We have a good relationship, but my God takes priority. The covenants of the Old Testament did work as they were based on works. But in Christ, we have been invited into a new covenant that is solely based on grace by the grace of God. Do you know what? We bring our failures, we bring our weaknesses, we bring our insecurities to Him. We do not stand because of our success. And yet society says, you are successful, you are great. You've got the right hairstyle this week, you look fantastic. Christine, have you got a new top on? You look great. It's not judged on how I look. It's not judged on how I speak up here because you all know this isn't my favourite spot. But it's based on God's perception, which is he loves us dearly. Christ makes us successful. We are positioned in his righteousness. This new covenant is conditioned on grace alone. And maybe you're sitting out there today and Christianity has been effort-based. You've been trying harder and harder to do the right things. And maybe for you, you're here at church, and sorry, Christy and Ewan, but maybe you're here at church and you feel, I've got to be on more serving teams. I've got to do more for God because it's the kingdom of God. You go on a serving team because of God's grace and you want to serve. You don't go on the serving team because you want to look good or you want to feel connected or you want to feel better. It's God that you connect with because it's not effort-based. You have to do absolutely nothing. You may come from a family of origin and it was work, work, work. But it's not with God. He just says, surrender. I'm here and I'll love you forever. Or perhaps you felt distant and impersonal. And sometimes when we've been hurt a lot, our heart and our mind, they close off and we get a coldness in our heart. That's not God. That's turning off because there's unresolved things for us. And to God, today, God wants to say, I want to warm your heart. I want to put a heat pack in there, but not any heat pack, my heat pack of love. I want to warm your heart like you've never felt it before. I want to take you deeper into my presence. I don't want you to feel distant. I don't want me to feel impersonal to you. Or maybe you've got a conditional shame that makes you feel you're not good enough. And again, you're trying harder and harder for people to accept you. Maybe it's the way you look, what you do. Maybe it's your workplace and you're trying to build your way up the ladder. My experience in the workplace was I didn't apply for promotions. They approached me and God blessed me. I think, you know, this is relying on God. And I have a feeling that there's some people in here too, that the sins of their past. I think there's some people in this room that things have happened way back. And maybe there's some things that they're ashamed of. But God wants to say to you, there is no shame. 
There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And he wants to heal you. He wants you to come up here and he wants to pour out his spirit upon you because he is a loving, gracious, forgiving God. So if if that's the case, if you're fitting into one of those things, God wants to make a trade with you. He wants to bring you into his presence, deeper into his presence in the new covenant. He wants you to let go of the old system, works, hardened heart. He wants to bring you into a fresh grace based on intimate mercy, filled relationship with him. He wants to shape you from the inside out. He wants you to let go of religiosity and enter into true joy, love and freedom with him. He wants to give you something new today.